Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your being, and all your strength. Good morning again. Oh, somebody used my name. Thank you. So, so personal. <laughs> Israel loves that scripture because he thinks every time it's directly directed towards him, especially coming from his granddad, so that's awesome. Um, can you all tell, Drew, just so you know, Drew is very, very close to getting a tattoo. Can you tell that her father is wrapping his head around the idea that his young daughter <laughs> is going to be getting a tattoo? <laughs> oh, anytime I can take a stab at Marvin, I do. It's great. I uh, went golfing. This was a while back, actually, with my brother-in-law when we were down in Florida, and Drew went along with us, and Drew loves to drive the cart, so she went along, and um, I'm not the greatest at golfer, but I enjoy doing it, and I actually, I, I hit a ball, it was par three within like three feet, just pretty good for me. I don't get a lot of opportunities at birdies, and I grab my putter, and as I'm walking up to it, Drew says, don't miss. Um, anytime that I get ready to preach a sermon and I'm, I'm getting ready to walk out, Marvin always says, don't screw up. <laughs> so, it's always so good to be supported. <sighs> um, so last night, I spent quite a bit of time trying to put the pieces of, of what I'm going to be discussing with you today, our conversation today, together. Um, I've been thinking about these two sermons for quite a while because Terry asked me to preach quite a while ago and I thought I had my head kind of wrapped around. Um, I, I, was, I think I did a pretty good job last week like setting up why we need to, to listen to this and as I was sitting there last night trying to put these pieces together I thought oh man have I gotten myself way underwater here. Um, so this we, we might just all sink together. But if we do, we're just, we're, we're all going down together and we're one big family here. So we'll see, see how it goes. If you were not here last week, let me give you a quick rundown. We are in the Old Testament. We're in a sermon series called Old School. So we're trying to dig into these passages of the Old Testament. Um, we're coming out of the book of Deuteronomy, which is the last book of the Pentateuch, which is the five first books of the Bible. Um, Moses historically and traditionally had written these books for the Israelites. Now, the Israelites, this was an interesting time period for them because they were coming out of hundreds and hundreds of years of, anybody remember? Slavery of Egypt. So what was happening here? They're in the desert and God and Moses together are trying to create a system um, by which the Israelites can relate with one another and God and a system by which they can live in the world that's different than what they know. Because all they've known is slavery. And so here's God kind of initiating these new laws, initiating these new ways of living, these new ways of being. And we find somewhat of a culmination of that, in my opinion, here in Deuteronomy chapters 5 and 6. Now last week we, we kind of wrestled with the passage in 5, 9 through 10 that talks about generational curses. And I told you, I was very candid with you, that I have a problem with that passage. It's always troubled me. Um, I don't like the idea of God kind of actively reaching in and punishing one generation for a previous generation's sins. 
So we wrestled with that a little bit, uh, talked about some fun things like dualism and epigenetics and all that good stuff. I'm just going to throw those words out there and then move on. <laughs> just kidding. Um, what, we, what we pulled out of that is I don't think the scripture is showing us a picture of an angry God here. I think the, the, the scripture is showing us a picture of a loving God who, who wants these patterns and these cycles that the people of Israel have been caught in for hundreds of years, these kind of slavery mindset to be broken in them. And there's three things that God um, wants of the Israelites that we'll find here in Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, and a little bit beyond that, that we'll get into that kind of help break those patterns and those cycles. Two things um, to keep note of before we move on. One, I said last week that transformation often comes when you're in a time of transition. Has anybody else experienced this? A lot of times when you hit transition, transformation comes. It's, it's an opportunity, if you will, if you can wrap your head around it. It doesn't mean that it's easy, and it doesn't mean that it's comfortable. Transition is often very uncomfortable. And yet, those are the moments and the times that we have opportunity to change. We wrestled with these two ideas of is it, are the habits that are instilled in us, are they by nature or are they by nurture? And is it from an individualistic perspective or a communal perspective? And where I land on this, I think the answer to the question to both of those is yes. Scientifically speaking, biologically speaking, you have been hardwired in a certain way. You've been, you've downloaded. None of us who are born into this world are a blank slate. You're shaped. You're shaped by your, the family that you're born into. You're shaped by the culture that you're born into. And this is what epigenetics shows us, the studies that they've done, that there's something that overlays the DNA structure of who we are that either turns those DNA switches on and off and causes our brains to grow in a certain patterns and in certain ways. So the example I gave was the mice. They introduced a smell to them and then they would shock the mice. And that um, physiological response to that smell was passed down from generation to generation even though they weren't shocked. So if in your family you have a history of depression, that is a biological response that will most likely be passed down to your kids. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's, it's not a, um, well, depression is bad, don't get me wrong. I mean, we always want to try to break that cycle, but it's nothing that you need to hide or be ashamed of. It's something that needs to be addressed. And I think that the Bible, as well as uh, current science, is, is showing us the way that we can address those issues. My goal this morning, last week I really wanted to dig into why the Shema, the Shema is what, it, what um, Marvin just read, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Other translations say the Lord is one. Why is that passage incredibly important? In, in other words, what's the problem that that, pra that passage is solving? And the problem is those cycles, those unconditional habits that we're, we're caught in. Science tells us, and I wish there was a little more consensus on this, but 40 to 95% of what you do on a daily basis, you do based out of your subconscious, not your conscious mind. It means that you wake up and you go about your routine without even thinking about what it is that you're doing. Um, how many of you will find yourself driving on the highway 
and realize you've been thinking about something way else. Um, I see you. I'm going to call the police on you because you're very, no, I'm just kidding. Um, We do this. We get caught in these kind of routines and these habits where we're just living life. We're not necessarily thinking intentionally and, and we just go about our business. So how do we break that? That's the answer we're going to try, or that's the question we're going to try to answer today. How to address the underlying problems and when and where to do it. Sound like a plan? Okay, we'll see if we, if we can get there. Can we pray before we, we go on? Gracious God, we give you thanks, Lord, for this opportunity to come together, to be in your presence. God, we know that you are a living God. God, we know that you didn't just create this universe and then abandon it. God, we know that you care about us as individuals. You care about us as a community. And so, Lord, our prayer this morning is that you'll give us the eyes to see, the ears to hear, and the open heart to receive what you'll have for us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Um, I challenged you last week to take some time out of your day to what I was really trying to get you to do was to contemplate, right? To think about life and the habits that you have. Was anybody successful in in carving out some of those times and and doing that? Did you actually write it, write it down? Well, you didn't follow directions, Dana. It's okay. Um, I I did the same thing, and I'll give you one example of something that bubbled up for me. I am, it feels like for me, I'm constantly battling against not assuming the worst about other people. How about you? And I don't know, I don't know exactly where that comes from. I think it might come from a cultural perspective of maybe this, this um, idea of, you know, the survival of the fittest. Um, maybe this idea that life is a zero-sum game, and if you win, I lose somehow. Um, I, I don't know exactly what the root cause of that is. I'm still trying to wrestle with that. But I am under the belief that our actions are driven by what we believe. Let me give you an example. This is something I've been wrestling with for a long time. When I was in college, um, I was a, a Calvinist. And not to get too, too much in the, the weeds of differing theology here, one of the baseline beliefs of Calvinism is determinism. Meaning that God has predetermined before the foundation of the world who's in and who's out. Like, when you die, who's going to be with God and who's not? And so what I found myself doing as I was walking around this campus at college is my thought life and my thought patterns were such that I was determining who I thought was in. And of course, I was in. Right? I mean, I know that. I wouldn't be out. But I'm not so sure about that person. They look like they might be out to me. And I don't know that I ever really like fully verbalized this to people, um, but I know it had to have affected the conversations that I had with people. It had to have affected the interactions that I had with people. It had to have affected my ability to approach somebody in a, in a loving and in a kind way, right? So what you believe shapes how you act in the world. Now, there's a bit of irony here. 
Because here I am standing before you this morning and I have the privilege of pontificating intellectually about these things. But here's the reality. You won't change unless you can embody it in an emotional fashion. Okay? You cannot enact change in your life and belief is primarily rooted in our emotions. Um, I'm a huge fan of TED Talks. Anybody with me? TED Talks? Love them. There's a classic one out there by Simon Sinek. If you're in the business world, you've seen this. I know you've seen it. It's called The Golden Circle. And Simon Sinek goes through and he explains to us why we do what we do. And it's the reverse of what you would think. So the reality is, is that you back into your beliefs by saying, first you believe something, and then you try to outline exactly how you got to those beliefs. But the reality is, you just believed it. And so the example he gives in that video, you can look it up, but he talks a lot about Apple. Do y'all remember that? This is a time when Apple was like the thing. Apple's kind of waned over the years. But the why is... Challenge, Apple wants to challenge the status quo and do things differently. Now, doesn't that sound cool? They want to challenge the status quo and do things, do things differently. It's the idea of saying you are completely unique, just like everyone else. Right? But who doesn't want to kind of buy into that idea of being unique, being your own person? And then they say how they do it is they create things that are beautifully designed and easy to use. And then they go, here's an iPad. Want to buy it? So the reason that you and I kind of purchase things or make decisions is really rooted in that why. It's rooted in the belief. It's the item represents something else. And that's why you're doing it. To, to give you another example. Um, I often run into people who, when we're having financial conversations, and, and they tell me one thing that they believe one thing, and yet, when we dig into the data and the numbers, what do I find? Their actions don't really line up with what they believe. So the question is, do they truly believe it? No. Because they've not embodied that belief in themselves for their actions to, to line up with what they believe. So, um, here is the secret. And this is, I'm going to break down verse 4. First part says this, Hero Israel. Now last week I titled the sermon, Listen Up Y'all. And afterwards, um, Steve Morton's not here today, but he quickly, uh, he quickly let me know that I was mistaken in my interpretation of the word you all, being from the south. That you all, y'all is actually the singular, and the plural is listen up all y'all. <laughs> so I've retitled the sermon today, Listen Up All Y'all. Um, to better reflect that, what do you have to do in order to hear something? You got to listen. I was running an appointment with a colleague the other day, and she, I thought it was very wise of her. She said to me, um, I want you to, to lead this, because she's been in the business for four months now. And she said, I finally realized that it, when I'm in conversations with people, I'm always trying to think of the next thing to say. And I'm not really listening. And I know I don't know the right questions to ask people yet. And I want to make sure that I'm, I'm learning those right questions. I thought that was pretty darn wise. She got there pretty quick. 
if you don't take the time on a daily basis to stop and listen, you've got no shot at changing your habits. None. So my goal this morning is not to tell you something new. Sorry to break it to you if you thought I was going to come with like magic fairy dust and sprinkle it on you and all of a sudden you were going to be this brand new person. Not going to happen. In fact, I want to put something in, for, in front of you this morning that is an ancient tradition, an ancient spiritual practice that God invites us into and participate in so that we can be transformed and changed. Meditation. Now, there are some benefits to meditation. This is a, um, a flag that I've been waving for a long time, meditation flag. I'm sure you remember me talking about it when I was here prior. I've become even more passionate about it. Because two reasons why. One, our society is getting faster and faster and faster and faster. And we are being fed the lie that we are actually the ones that crank the wheel that makes the, ter the, the world go around. And if we don't put something in our lives, a spiritual practice in our lives to make us and force us to stop and to slow down, we are going to keep spinning into oblivion. It's just the reality of where we are. Two... Quite frankly, the benefits are far too great to ignore. Listen to these. I'm going to run through these very, very quickly because I want to make sure we have time for, um, that I can share with you what it is that you're going to be meditating on or that you should be meditating on. But this is from Emma Sapaya. She's a PhD research scientist at Stanford University. Been researching meditation and the benefits of meditation. The first one is well-being. It increases positive emotions and decreases negative emotions. It increases feelings of social connection. Now that second one is really, really important because there has never been a time in history where our world has not been more connected than now. There's also an epidemic going on, primarily in young people. Talk to any psychologist. There's an epidemic of feeling disconnected and not actually connected. The reason for that is because we've bought into this, this lie of the other. I've used this example before, but how many of you roll out of bed, grab your phone, and take that morning selfie to post on Facebook? <laughs> of course you don't. You roll out of bed, you got to make sure your face is did, you got to make sure, like, your hair's did, you got to make sure you're looking good, then you take the selfie. That's the lie that we bought into. Other benefits, healing. Decreases migraines, de decreases chronic pain, decreases PSD, decreases schizophrenia spectrum disorders. I could keep going. We as Christians believe that um, not only are we physical beings, but we also have a spiritual side of us. And it makes perfect sense that the spiritual side of us can actually affect the physical side of us. It is emotional intelligence in the brain, so it activates empathy and emotional processing. If you want to be the most successful person you can be at your job, what is the leading indicator of that? Is it IQ? Nah. It's EQ. Emotional quotient. Your ability to process your own emotions and reactions with other people and your interactions with other people will put you in positions of leadership. The way that you can most improve your EQ is to meditate. Uh, what else? We've got stress responses. It increases respiratory sinus arrhythmia. That's a really fancy way of saying it slows your breath down. 
so that your body can begin to actually relax. Um, increases, oh, this is an interesting one. Increases telomere length, which is a biological marker of aging. How many of you buy anti-aging creams? Marvin? <laughs> He's got a whole cabinet full. <laughs> Meditation can actually physiologically slow down the aging process. So you're spending all this money on this stuff. All you got to do is start meditating. Uh, social connection, we kind of mentioned this, makes you a more helpful person, increases your compassion, increases your empathy, decreases your bias towards others. So remember that when I was talking about um, making bad assumptions about other people rather than making good assumptions about other people, it will decrease that internal bias that you have against other people. And then lastly, self-love. It curbs self-criticism. Who is the most critical person that you know about you? You. How many times have we wanted to succeed at something, a project, uh, a relationship, and we just can't get out of our own way. Or we can't quite believe the fact that we're the person to do it. Meditation will help with that. This has, um, it, here's the thing, it can be effective in small doses, so we're talking like 10 minutes a day. We're not talking a long period of time here. And the effects are, are long, so like 15 months after you do it, you're still getting these positive effects. There's a reason why God said to the Israelites, listen up! Or, in other words, shut up! Stop talking! I can't be present with you if you're not listening. Start listening. Next portion. Hear, O Israel. The Lord is our God. So what is it that we're supposed to be thinking about when we go through these meditation practices? Oh, before I do that, one last thing, because I think this is really cool. Um, from a scientific, neurological, biological standpoint, studies have been done of people who meditate, and they do brain scans. This is really cool. It's like pictures of the brain with different colors. It's fun. Anyway, um, here's what they found. This is from Dr. Andrew Newberg uh, in an article by Lynn Bloomberg, Bloomberg uh, from The Atlantic in 2014. As to what's going on in their brains, Newberg says, it depends to some degree on what the practice is. Practices that involve concentrating or something on something over and over again, either through prayer or a mantra-based meditation, and I'm going to tell you what you need to be concentrating on over and over again here in a second, those things tend to activate the frontal lobes, which is the frontal cortex of the brain, and here's how it changes you. Uh, the area is chiefly responsible for directing attention, modulating behavior, and expressing language. So if you want to change yourself to be a better reflection of compassion and empathy in the world, and you want to be able to articulate it with other people, start meditating. 
So what are you going to think about? Here's what you're going to think about. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So let's focus on the Lord our God. Now there are a couple of attributes of God that I think are incredibly important. First one is this. Um, God is holy. Now, holiness from a biblical definition simply means set apart. Outside the norm or out side of being if you will so it gives us this concept this idea of God as transcendent which is a a big word it means that you and I as individuals and collectively as a community get to participate in something far far bigger than ourselves as I fall off the stage here bigness Yes, you are a small drop in a massive ocean of change. The other aspect um, of holiness is that um, you personally have been set apart in your community as somebody who enacts change. Now, there's a danger here, and I'll get to what we're going to focus on next. They have to be together. The first danger is this, is that you only focus on transcendence because if you only focus on transcendence then you fall into traps of trying to flitter away and the only thing that's really really important is the spiritual aspects of life now, I mentioned last week that as Christians we're, Christians we're dualists we believe in the physical matter that the physical matters but we're also spiritual so the second attribute of God is this that God is both personal and good God, our God, not not that we possess God, but that God is in relationship with us. That God has not created the world and then is now off somewhere else. But God cares about God's world and what God is doing in it through you. So that's incredibly important. Caring beings are not created by an uncaring being, in other words. Now, with this comes imminence. So not only do we have transcendence, but we have imminence as well. And we see the picture of Jesus Christ in the incarnation fully embodying being present with us. Now that makes a spiritual impact on you and I. Because if we meditate on the fact that God was incarnational, then we can be more fully present with those that we're around. And actually begin to help make contributions in their change as well. So the the danger is to either be transcendent or imminent, only concerned with the physical world. And let me tell you where that trap can come into play. Um, Richard Rohr, anybody heard of Richard Rohr? He's a fantastic guy. Um, He's a Catholic. And he was coming up through the ranks and being ordained in the Catholic Church in the 70s. Started a movement in Cincinnati. I don't know if he's a Buckeye fan, but I need to find that out, to be honest with you. and they were, they were doing justice and mercy ministry. So this is that other portion that God is good. That God cares about morality. God cares about right and wrong. God cares about, um, you know, getting rid of evil and sin and all those things. And they're going about this work in the 70s. It's a, it's a tail off of what was happening in the 60s with racial justice and those kinds of things. And he noticed a pattern. And it was anybody who participated in it. They tended to be operating. They, they believed all of the right things. Okay, that, that, that the, le- the playing field should be level. 
that we're all created in the image of God, that we're all equal, all of these really, really good things, and yet when they tried to do justice and mercy, it was all born out of anger. They were just mad. And he never felt like they got anywhere, like they got any traction, and they never were really able to create sustainable change over that time. So he started another ministry, a contemplative one. And so now his goal is to help connect people who are concerned about justice and mercy, as we all should be, to reshape themselves from the inside out so that they can properly act in the world to enact change. And it's that combination of transcendence and eminence, the two coming together, that makes that happen. Lastly, the thing that you, that you want to... Uh, let me go into this very quickly. Um, how many... How many mitzvahs, you guys know that word, it means commandments, are in the Old Testament, according to the Jewish tradition. Close. Say it. 613. Now, the idea here is, if you can keep all 613, congratulations, you can be in communion with God. <laughs> Jesus came along and tried to put a stop to all this madness. So there's two things that you can get caught in. One is, are you doing the legal duty or are you doing more what's called moral obligation or moral responsibility? Let me give you an example of this, of where it just gets absurd to live in the world of, of legal duty. Um, when we were in Israel not too long ago, a couple years ago, I guess, in Israel, they have kibbutzes, which a kibbutz is an intentional community where people come together and they live together intentionally. Um, and they often raise something or do some sort of commerce that they sell so that the community, community can sustain itself and live. In Israel, they have a, an appointed cabinet position who is the religious overseer of Israel, basically. And he had made the statement at one time that a swine or a pig will never be raised on the soil of Israel because they believe that wine or, uh, swine are unclean animals and that they can't participate in that. Well, this kibbutz came along that we drove by, and they decided that they wanted to raise pigs and sell pigs. So what did they do? They built up platforms and raised the pigs on the platforms because they weren't touching the soil. If you get caught in this trap of, of legal duty that you're just doing things because that's what you've been told to do rather than connecting with God, and I'm going to talk about how you get to that oneness here in a second, but if you get caught in that trap, there's always ways to get around it. You can always come up with a justification of why you did what you did. John Wesley kind of reduced this down to three simple rules. If you remember these, do no harm, do good, and stay in love with God. The important one there is stay in love with God because that's what enables you to do no harm and to do good. All right, so the last one here. The Lord our, hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So contemplating and meditating on this idea of oneness is tricky. <laughs> if we are spiritual beings and we are physical beings, and we know that our spiritual side, our consciousness, affects our actions in the world and what we believe, then somehow, someway, we have to align our spiritual side to our physical side so that what we believe becomes actionable in this world. In the Christian tradition, this is what we would call the combination of orthodoxy, 
right belief, right thinking, and ortho, does anybody know? Praxi, right doing. It does us absolutely no good to have all the right ideas and never put them into action. It's a disconnect. And so when, when God invites us in to meditate and to contemplate, Hero is or the Lord our God, the Lord is one, what God is doing is saying, align your spiritual nature with your physical nature with me. And if we can do that together, then we can begin to create habits in our life that are sustainable for doing justice, doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly. So it takes all of that. So here's the thing. I get it, right? You're exhausted. I know your, your day probably goes like this. Your, your uh, middle child wakes up at 5 o'clock in the morning. And then your oldest child gets up with him at 5 o'clock as well. And maybe, just maybe, you might get lucky that the youngest one, who's almost 2, sleeps in until about 6.30. But probably not. She's probably going to wake up about 5.45, maybe 6 o'clock. So you get up. You begin to take care of them. And then you take them to school. Uh, probably should leave by 7.45. But if you're being realistic, you're probably going to get bumped back to about 8.15. They're going to get there a little late. But that's okay. Because you can make it into the office by 8.30. Because you have a standing Monday morning meeting at 8.30. And then you go about your day, you go about your business, you're building a book of business, you're trying to find clients, and you hear no 50 times before you hear a yes, and then you get excited about the yes. Try not to get depressed about the no's, but your business grows. And then about 5 o'clock, well, at least it used to be 5 o'clock that the witching hour would start and you would start dinner, but really it's moved down to 4.30 now. So from 4.30 to 7 o'clock, the kids are going crazy, and you're trying to get dinner on the plate for them, and you're trying to take care of them. And then by 6.30, the middle one goes to bed because he's now taking medication, which is causing him to sleep better, which is good, because now at least you're getting seven hours of sleep at night instead of five hours of sleep. And then the youngest one goes down at 6.30, and thank God she goes down easy and that she don't have to rock her or cry she doesn't cry and all that stuff and then the oldest one stays up much longer maybe 7 45 or 8 o'clock but you don't really mind because you get to read and you get to wrestle and you get to you get to be present with him and then by eight o'clock you sit down you might have your dinner you may have been able to sneak it in there when the other one's eight but maybe not but then eight o'clock you say i'm just gonna watch like a um, nailed it on netflix and then go to bed so in the past I would have stood up here and said, y'all should do this. And you would have said, yeah, that's great, Adam, but you get paid to do this on a daily basis. But guess what? I don't now. <laughs> I think it's funny when, when we go somewhere, somebody will say to me, oh, you taking some time off? For those of you that own your own business and you aren't on salary and you're on commission, you know that there's no such thing as time off. You're just not working. So here's my point. I believe so passionately in this spiritual practice. I believe so passionately that this spiritual practice can change our world. That I make time in my day for my own health, for my family's health, to do this. It's that vitally important to who you are as a spiritual being and your connection with God and your connection with others. So I get it. I get it. It's easier to pick up the phone and scroll through Facebook than it is to pick up the yoga mat. 
I get it. It's easier to turn on Netflix and watch Nailed It than it is to pick up a guided meditation and go through it. I get it. I get it. It's easier to put up your feet instead of doing what your body actually needs and going on a walk. I get it. But whatever it is that refreshes you, and I don't mean fake refreshes you, like distracts you and entertains you for a while, but whatever it is that actually fills you up and makes you the best version of yourself, whatever it is that you're passionate about, don't overthink this. Don't do like me and get caught in your head and intellectualize things. Just do it. Just do it. So here's what I believe. I believe we all have the capacity to be transformed. Transformation often comes in transitions, and transitions are not comfortable. Transitions require us to be more intentional, and steps of personal intention culminates in transformation. I believe we all have the power to make contributions in each other's lives. We can't make each other change, but we can contribute to that change. Likewise, we can't make the world change, but we can contribute to that change. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, amen.